Welcome back to The Yawn. This is your host, Joey Montano. Today, we're going to be talking about a few things, actually. We're going to be talking about insomnia. We're going to be talking about just whenever I feel like it. And I decided to spice things up for you and talk about the wonderful world of logistics. Now, if you can't tell, that's called sarcasm. And I feel like most people these days are having a tougher time sensing it including myself. So that's probably another rant, probably for another podcast, but not today. Because I'm trying to help you sleep. Go to sleep. Okay, that probably didn't work. But keep listening, and you might find yourself catching some Z's sooner rather than later. Today's podcast is going to be about an hour long. I've done a little bit more research, and speaking for myself, with I do have trouble sleeping, and so does my wife. So I figured, why not just talk about insomnia and maybe it'll put you to sleep or maybe you will find something interesting just to pass the time so you can just stop thinking about your day and relax. So before I dive into the official clinical research, or I don't even want to say clinical research because every person has their own unique style of sleep. Some people like to sleep on their back. Some people like to sleep on their side. Some people like to sleep on their stomach. I really don't trust those stomach people, but hey, that's just me. For me, my major sleeplessness issues revolve around my sleep time. Generally, my sleep time mixes day to day from, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night, maybe at 10 o'clock at night to 1 o'clock. And generally, I'm okay most of the time because I am fairly consistent. The problem is the weekends. The weekends are the ones where I think most people don't actually go to bed when they do normally in the week, yet they still get up around the same time. And for me, consistency is generally the key, but it's easier said than done, and I'm just a guy. But again, I figure if I at least give my input before I go to more of the official online documents from Sleep Foundation or other insomnia-related websites, I feel that speaking person-to-person is more genuine in a sense of it's more relatable, listening to how other people solve their problems. And that's why I'm actually a pretty big fan of reading more Medium articles or other blog articles uh, that talk about certain problems. Not to say that the official documentation is bad. It's actually really good. I mean, they've spent a lot of money uh, doing research and figuring all this stuff out. But even still, most solutions are on a general basis, and it's not really something that is a one-size-fits-all solution. So if, you, so if you're someone who's tried some of these steps, uh, that's great. But hopefully, like, like I said, my voice is the key to sleep. So moving on to part two, I'm sorry for that tangent. It's uh, another thing that I try to do to help improve sleep is I've been taking more uh, CBD. Uh, I ended up getting a CBD vape from Groupon for about like $10. And you could just go on Groupon right now. I don't have any special codes. I'm not famous and rough, or I really don't care enough at the moment to start spamming coupon codes, although it probably would save you a few dollars. So uh, just do that in the morning. Don't do it now. Because knowing you, if you're like me, you're probably on the phone or... If you can't go to sleep, you end up looking to your side, grabbing your phone, and then just end up staring at a bright screen for another 30 minutes until you feel like you're tired, and then you ultimately decide to turn off your phone and lay down, and yet still don't fall asleep. So don't grab your phone. Hopefully, when you're listening, this is either on an iHome, on your system, your surround sound system, or just your speaker out loud on your phone. I don't, I don't know how you guys uh, generally listen to things. I'm, I'm more of a white noise guy myself and just a guy who just thinks way too much. So CBDs, highly recommend that. It more or less calms and relaxes. I wouldn't say it puts you to sleep right away, um, but it does get you to stop thinking and stop worrying about the idea of falling asleep because I know we're all our worst enemies when it comes to not thinking about a particular item. You know, for example, if I told you to don't think about McDonald's cheeseburgers, chances are you're probably already thinking about it just on the fact that I said it. 
So, sorry. Let's not talk about McDonald's cheeseburgers. Although we could. But that's the ADHD talking. So let's dive straight into some of these insomnia articles, shall we? So, the first one that really caught my eye was from One Medical. Uh, they talk about relieving insomnia without medication. Uh, I don't know if you're taking medication. I generally don't like taking medication myself. But I found this to be a very good article because I like to take more of the uh, holistic approach when it comes to medical because I like to save money. And just a pro tip, if you have a sore throat, definitely try putting about a teaspoon of cayenne pepper with a lukewarm water and gargling it for about 15 seconds. Do that once every 15 minutes for about a couple hours. And trust me, it might sting a little with the uh, cayenne pepper, but your sore throat will feel like it would immediately evaporate. Now, your throat's not going to be 100%, but the soreness and the pain will be completely gone. Uh, like I said, trust me on this one. I've tested it. I like to test more of these home remedies. Not all of them work, but that is one that I'm willing to throw down all the money that I have in my pocket, which is not, but still, um, I'm willing to vouch for it. So back to the one medical article. One of the things it mentions is that don't try to be a hero uh, because we all need sleep. And in one medical mentions, people tend to brag like it's a good thing that you're getting less sleep. And when we're younger, yeah, we do. Uh, you know, it's a pretty cool day. Sleep for two hours, study all night and barely pass the test. I guess that's the college life. I never did that, but that's I've seen a lot of kids do that uh, back in my day. And the problem with this is you're training yourself to not get a lot of sleep, which does cause fatigue, irritability, might even cause weight gain. And, of course, it does weaken the immune system because your body doesn't have any time to recover. So if you find yourself sick and you're trying to brag a lot about not getting a lot of sleep, try to shift that focus and just try to brag about more sleep, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, generally, lack of sleep, we both know. It's never a good thing, and hopefully you're not someone who's been trying to stay up all night recently, and now you find yourself listening to this, because hopefully it does help, but you're not doing yourself a, a good job of, you know, s sleeping long-term. So some of the techniques that they mention to relieve insomnia without the medication, uh, they really talk about two things. One is sleep hygiene, and the other one is, oh, they call it... Uh, Brief Cognitive Behavioral Treatment Intervention for Insomnia. Whoa. If that didn't put you to sleep, then I'll keep talking. But that is a mouthful. Um, it's also called CBTI. So probably don't even bother writing it down. You should be sleeping. <laughs> so the idea of sleep hygiene, at least according to this article, is that it's just a collection of habits that, you know, to help you fall asleep easier and better. And generally that's what most people try to do when it comes to any positive activities, such as exercising, dieting, or learning a new skill. So when you develop these good habits, or in this case, these habits uh, in relation to sleep, then your sleep quality should improve. So some of the tips and do's and don'ts they mention, they say, one is uh, stick to a regular sleep schedule. So I didn't mention that earlier, um, but that is pretty consistent. And it does mention seven days a week. That is easier said than done. So I am not going to be an advocate to say you need to be doing this because we're all human, but it is a ideal goal. So definitely do that. Do that. <laughs> all right. Enough, enough English fumble in there. Uh, another, another item is exercise at least 30 minutes a day most days of the week. So this is something that I did actually find to be very useful for me personally. I do go to the gym fairly frequently, uh, at least two to three times a week. I shouldn't say fairly, that's probably moderately. And generally when I stop working out or if my diet tends to go down the drain, my sleep quality does go down. And for some people, just exercise can involve maybe just a 30 minute walk or maybe a 30 minute speed walk, a light jog maybe. Or if you happen to have 
something that's kind of heavy, just kind of lift it over your head. Let me do some do some curls. Uh, hopefully you can do it in your own private space so you don't get any weird looks. Or if you're like me, you really don't care. You need to just do it whenever, wherever. It's your life, man. Or girl. Or other gender. You know, these days I, I'm learning. And, you know, we all need to keep developing and growing. And in this case, we're developing some sleeping habits. So it mentions, too, that you need to get a good amount of natural light exposure during the day. So definitely opening the blinds first thing in the morning and let the sun in uh, definitely helps keep your body, body in rhythm. Now, I'm going to go off on a tangent, and I don't know if this art article mentions it, but the idea of melatonin helping your sleep. Uh, I have some mixed opinions on that. Uh, I've actually had a pretty severe case of insomnia back in 2010, where I was even lucky to get an hour of sleep for like a, probably a good month and a half. And part of that was due to my addiction to a particular uh, arcade fighter game at the time. And I would literally try to max out the amount of time I could play versus the energy it was provided. And don't get me wrong, I was probably the strongest player in the game. I think the game is still called a Dungeon Fighter Online. And again, this is back in 2010. So uh, I obsessively played that game between 18 and 20 hours a day. And on the side, I would still play poker, uh, online poker. So, and, there, and I wasn't intentionally trying to do this. The problem was after, say, 16 hours of a game, I might have trouble sleeping one night, and I would lay in bed from 2 a.m. to about 3, 4 a.m. and get asleep, go to sleep, you know, wake up at 9. And it was progressively get worse. Uh, it would just be days where I would stop playing at midnight, and I would just lay in bed and lay and lay and of course lay and next thing I knew it was 5 a.m. 6 a.m. and the sun would start coming up and I would just barely try to get any sleep maybe for an hour or two every night and it just got to the point where I would just wake up shaking because I just had no sleep whatsoever it was just so minimal and I decided to check out uh, melatonin. I talked to my buddy about melatonin and he said it was pretty effective. I know the research as well. It seemed to be pretty effective, but when it comes to melatonin, you need to pay attention to the, the dosage that you're getting. Uh, depending on the recommendations that you see online, it turns out that even a three milligram piece of melatonin is way too much for what you should be having. So uh, there was some research that indicated that melatonin does in fact, improve, you know, your your body's natural uh, instinct to react to light and darkness accordingly. So, so if it's nighttime, your body's more likely to follow suit and be sleepy at night um, with melatonin. Uh, the, the problem is, like I said, most people take too much of it, and it could potentially uh, not fix your problem or it might make it worse in some cases. So, what I recommend generally is to take a, you know, piece of melatonin and probably cut it in half. That uh, I believe, if I can recall this, and this is I said this is back eight nine years ago, but I still do this today and it works pretty well. Is you want to take about less than a milligram worth, uh, maybe even less. You really only need a small amount for your body to ingest and and adjust accordingly. So don't take too much melatonin. Okay, go on back to the sleep hygiene. If you, if you notice, I tend to uh, drag on a little bit, pretty long-winded, but turns out, in my experience, people fall asleep. So let's keep going. Uh, to the do's again, uh, as already mentioned this, uh, establish a regular relaxing bedtime routine. Again, routines and habits are generally going to be the key here. Uh, and moving forward, it says, Associate your bed with sleep and sex only. Don't work, don't eat, or watch TV in bed. So that's interesting. Uh, especially the TV part, because I do watch TV in bed. So uh, I am learning as I am talking to you. So definitely going to not watch TV, or at least limit it to maybe only a sound only, or just, I don't know. Uh, you want to make sure 
you turn off your clocks around so you can't see the time. I've seen this all the time too. Uh, I go to sleep, I wake up, and then I start looking at the clock, and then I start thinking, oh no, I am probably not going to go back to sleep. So I definitely agree with that one. Uh, it mentions to turn off the alert for texts and emails on your phone. As you know, everyone has smartphones these days. Just put it in uh, airplane mode or uh, do not disturb. Airplane mode, don't do that. Actually, take that back. No airplane mode, just put it in do not disturb. Then uh, it mentions some things here. Keep a worry journal. If something's on your mind as you're trying to fall asleep, write it down on a pad of paper so you can revisit it the next day. That's interesting. So um, I semi-agree with that just logically. Like it's good to release those thoughts. That's actually one of the inspirations of this podcast. But, uh, you know, if you're writing for 20, 30, 40 minutes, then you're going to go to bed a little bit later. And I think for most people, time management is an issue on how, whether if it's work or daily life, it's just finding that right balance. And I still struggle with it. So I can't imagine you guys are just 100% well adjusted because uh, that makes people boring if you're 100% perfect all the time. And I don't know, I just find that impossible. Everyone's perfect. So, um, but yeah, definitely try the writing journal on here, but I would probably limit that to five, 10 minutes at most. Uh, and it mentions if you're unable to fall asleep after 20 minutes, leave the bed and do something relaxing, return to bed later. So the 20 minute part does pique my interest because my whole life, it does take me between 15 to 45 minutes to fall asleep. Uh, my wife's been very fortunate where she could just fall asleep simply by closing her eyes and just doing it. So I wish I had a video because you could see me roll my eyes. And, and the absurdity of the whole thing is just, I just can't comprehend how easy it is that she can sleep. Of course, one of the things that's not mentioned in this article is listening to my voice. Now, if you catch yourself doing some of these things, the don'ts, I should say, in this article, then change that immediately because it probably will help your sleep significantly. The number one thing is don't ingest caffeine in afternoon. Uh, I've actually been guilty of this, and I pay dearly. Uh, generally, my cutoff time personally is around noon. If I drink coffee at two or four, then I'm going to be up for at least an additional 10 hours. So drink coffee at noon, I'm going to be going to sleep at midnight, even though I might be trying to go to sleep at 10. Now, one thing that it doesn't mention, which I might mention to you if you're someone who does drink coffee or it does ingest a lot of caffeine, is that try ordering, ordering decaf because I've done a little bit of research and if you can, you can even look at some of the nutrition labels, but decaf does not mean you have zero milligrams of caffeine. It actually is just a significantly lowered amount of caffeine that you're ingesting. So that could be the key is just moving from what calf to decaf. I'm not really a coffee drinker, but I do love, you know, a frappuccino or maybe a latte once in a while. Uh, I'm not going out of my way to pay for it, but I do enjoy them. Another don't is don't have a second glass of wine for dinner. While alcohol is known to speed the onset of sleep, it also disrupts sleep. And it mentions uh, causing arousal during the second half of the night when the body is entering the deep sleep. So this is news to me because I have not heard of that. And I do know if I have a beer or maybe a, a wine like an hour or two before I go to sleep, my chest, it feels like it's a burning a little bit. I don't want to say it's heartburn, but it's just how I lay down and the alcohol. I don't know. It's just hard for me to feel cool, I should say, when I'm sleeping. I just feel always hot. Uh, and then I wake up thirsty in the morning, and ugh, who wants to have terrible sleep? I don't want to have terrible sleep. I'm trying to help you have great sleep. I'm trying to have great sleep. Let's all have great sleep together. Okay, next item. Don't take other stimulants close to bedtime. Oh, no, no, no crap. Same thing with eating meals, same things with TVs or computers, um, inventions don't use phones, laptops, or other mobile devices in bed. So I'm already imagining some of you are like, I can't do that. Well, it certainly is worth trying. And for me, I try to not look at my phone at least 15 minutes before I go to bed. You know, I might play a game, just 
it's a game that I don't really think too much. Maybe browse an article on Reddit or just do some reading. Put my phone on the side. I turn it down, face down, so I'm not looking at the time. So I do agree with that. And hit the charge button, and, and that's it. Uh, I just might lay and talk to the wife or just lay down and just try to sleep. Uh, it does help. I will say I my sleep has improved a little bit as well. Uh, I could I, I could say I get about, or it takes me about, just about 15, 20 minutes each night, but it's more consistent than it used to be. And the last thing that it mentions is that fight the urge to nap during the day. So if you are a daytime napper, that could be a key factor in your lack of sleep. Now, some of this probably isn't really game-breaking stuff, and it really shouldn't be, but hopefully if you did learn a nugget, that's great. Now, I did find another article on self.com that talks about, I believe this is a regular person's perspective and not you know, a real article article that a professional wrote that doesn't really uh, connect, I guess, person to person. But the self one does talk about what they did to help their insomnia. It's only a list of five. I'm going to quick run this through. And some of these might sound similar, but I do like to have different perspectives. And I like to encourage you guys to have the same. So the number one thing uh, I believe this person mentions, I believe that her name or his name is, uh, yeah, Susanna Weiss. So Susanna Weiss, yeah, thank you, self.com, for writing this. Uh, I like to give credit where credit is due. So the number one thing that uh, Susanna mentions is keeping a caffeine journal to see how it affects my sleep, or that's how, what she said, um, then ultimately cutting it out completely. I do agree that what she says is that it does suck. I do know a lot of people that live off of caffeine, and I do occasionally find myself drinking a Frappuccino in the morning. Um, you know, those cold ones, not like a full, what is it? Vente size one, but you know, those eight to 12 ounce ones. And I've done some research too, and caffeine is good, but it also has some negative effects. Um, but long story short, I think she mentions, and I'm going to agree to that it does suck to cut something pretty awesome like caffeine. Um, that would pretty much be in my case, me saying, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. I mean, I love drinking alcohol, but I'm not a you know, I'm not a big, big, big drinker, but it helps me even myself out when I need it. You know, in Susanna's case, she said once she started keeping her journal, uh, she realized that even at a cup of tea at 10 a.m., it would just keep her up past 3 a.m. So, again, her method, she tried doing it cold turkey. She did notice that she couldn't quit completely, but the day she didn't ingest caffeine, her sleep was significantly improved. Something to keep in mind. She does mention, too, that she is sleeps on a weighted blanket. Or I should say under a weighted blanket, not on it. Uh, essentially, the idea of these weighted blankets is that it helps send a brain signal that you don't have to be on the lookout for dangerous things and that you're snug and comfy. Makes sense to me. Definitely try that. Uh, what she mentions, though, is that the weighted blankets are about $150, so that's a big yikes.com for me. Um, but for some of you, it could be worth the $150. It might be worth it for me if I could spend that money. Um, but I don't think I have insomnia as bad as what some other people do. But this is going to be something that I'm going to save just in case in the future. The third thing that she does is wearing admittedly goofy glasses that blocked blue light from tech devices. So apparently there are blue light blocking glasses that screen your eyes from the light uh, from the phone and computer screens. So apparently the idea is that this light can affect your body's production of melatonin. Very interesting because I talked earlier about the melatonin uh, problem I had. So this actually might explain why I had such tr tr trouble sleeping uh, eight years ago, or seven years ago, when I say one of those. But um, it's pretty affordable to buy some of these glasses. It's $10.99 from Amazon called the iKeeper Vintage Computer Glasses. So uh, that's pretty cool. Definitely check that out. I might actually just buy that right now uh, after this podcast. So check it out. 
She also mentions two more things. Uh, one of them I already mentioned, which is melatonin. And again, I suggest a very limited amount of mel melatonin. Uh, but she did not mention the amount in this one. But um, yeah, that works. And the other thing she mentioned is taking a warm bath before bed instead of a shower. So this is interesting because I'm a big shower person. But she says that the bath allows your body to soak up more heat. And the cooling that follows when you get out of the tub can, can cure your body to sleep. That I like. I think for me the biggest issue, and I'm pretty sure some of you are issue, or having this as well, is getting sweaty at night. You know, not sweaty, sweaty. Sweat. Yes, with the H. Being sweaty is terrible. It's not just having some sweat on your head or on your arms. It's it's the sweat that goes everywhere. I'm talking between like between the armpits, even between like the little crevices of your elbow. You know how your arm flexes in, you know behind the knees, even even in your ass crack, all the private parts. And then you get up and you just feel your body drenched, your back's drenched. You look at the bed and it seems like it's just moist. It's terrible. I can't stand it. And I stand up, I try to, you know, um, lift my shirt up, try to breathe some air in. And depending on where you're at, too, if you're kind of in the Midwest where there's, or even in the South where there's a place there's a lot of humidity, I would probably consider getting a dehumidifier. And even better, just having some white noise at night does help. So I'm definitely going to take probably her advice as well and try the warm bath because, you know, that the cooling off effect does for me it feels a lot of ref feels really refreshing and i do love the feeling of having a nice cool pillow to lay on or a nice cool bed to lay on so definitely uh, that's a very smart smart idea um, definitely you guys should try it i'm certainly going to try it as well so uh, there you have it i didn't plan the actually this taking this long of a time which is fine by me i'm actually pretty happy with it so uh, hopefully you guys found some pretty decent insights uh, again, uh, I found these from self.com. Uh, the self.com article was from uh, Susanna Weiss. And the other article that I am trying to find is from onemedical.com you know, called How to Relieve Insomnia Without Medication. And it's a three-part series, so I might just uh, follow up on the next podcast with part two of the series and just bring my insight and commentary as well. I think that would be pretty cool for you guys as well just to follow along. Now, switching subjects, I wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about just more about my life. I figured, you know, every podcast, I'll sprinkle a little bit of slice of life. The reason why I like to include these is that I feel that most people resonate with people, with other people that have very similar attributes. And I feel that I don't think I'm actually similar with most people, but I feel like I am relatable in a sense of a very certain common ground. I don't think I'm incredibly smart. I think I'm fairly smart, more of the uh, kind of smart. That's where I feel like I'm at. I love to learn. I do study quite frequently, and you know I try to keep on pace with well industry trends and whatnot. And I feel like that's the bare minimum of I think I would say smart enough to be pretty competent in the workforce and to you know do a pretty good job at what you do. You know, of course, there's going to be a lot of other factors that I didn't discuss, such as, you know, company, your boss, your coworkers, your work dynamic, you know, your current role and what you're doing. But overall, I like to have a sense of pride in the work that I generally do. And I think that most people should have that as a baseline of growth, I would say. Because if you're just kind of content with what you're doing, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, I've have been prior to this podcast, pretty content with how things have been going uh, with my life between working on side projects and doing consulting. So again, there's nothing wrong with a good medium. It just means, you know, we're in the comfort zone and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. As a matter of fact, you should aim to be comfortable. Sometimes you have to, you know, eat a lot of crap and you have to do a lot of things you don't want to just for the short term, just to have the opportunity to have that nice, comfortable moment or life that you imagine you know hopefully some of you guys are younger um, not to say older people 
shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I'm just imagining that older people in their, let's say, higher 50s, 60s, 70s, I believe sleep comes more natural, and I think their sleep patterns are a lot more, so I don't think they're affected as much. I could be completely wrong in this one. Like I said, this is a stream of consciousness, consciousness portion. Not really doing much research here. I just figure let's talk about a subject. So, um, but again, I think if you're more of someone of a younger age, I don't want to say millennials because now there's a new generation of kids coming out and I think they're Gen Z and they're probably going to rename something else, um, rename themselves to be something else. And, you know, a lot of these kids, younger kids these days are, they have so many trends and they have different values than what I grew up in. And I'm only 33, you know, I'm kind of in the mid-range of the millennial. And and with so many things these days, you know, I sometimes, I feel like I have to watch what I say, thinking about how one or two people could be offended on, you know, a joke or a remark. And you might have noticed I do tend to crack a couple of jokes once in a while uh, because, you know, I, I think laughter just is great. I love to laugh and I haven't found myself laughing as much uh, in the last year. That's uh, no, another time. Maybe I'll explain that down the road. But, you know, I just love to laugh and I just love looking back, making people laugh. And in this case, I want to love, make you laugh and sleep. And hopefully you have hilarious dreams. Uh, but I digress. I think just continuing on with the stream of consciousness, you know, how even 18 year olds, their habits are so different than what I've seen. Like, believe it or not, this is 2019. And yes, you're looking and you're probably rolling your eyes when I say that, but it's 2019 and Facebook was launched in 2004. Let me rephrase that 2004. That's how long it is. 15 years. 15 years. I cannot believe it. And I was one of the first people on Facebook back in the day where it was just the college kids and it was us. And we all claimed and swore that once they allowed the general public in, it was going to crash and burn. We were so wrong. So, so wrong. And guess what? Facebook is kind of big these days. 15 years later. That means if you have an 18-year-old kid all right? Or if you're 18 years old, it doesn't matter who's listening. By the time you actually were starting to process the world and become kind of a little human being that had some function, I should say. Uh, so I would say age of three. Age of three is when, my opinion, is when it goes from baby to toddler to a little kid that's learning that can remember things. So by the time they were three, 15 years ago, yeah, by the time they were three, they would be, I think Facebook would be, what, one year old? Or, yeah, the age of three is when Facebook was born, since they ever existed. Their whole life, Facebook has existed since they could remember things. That is insane. Their whole life is a platform of something that their parents, their siblings, their grandparents have. All these memes, all this drama, People talk about it day, day in, day out. People are sharing things. It's great. But if you're a kid, and I was told this too, like a month ago, a 12-year-old just said, Facebook's for old people. Hey, like, that's the future, man. So it's very interesting just to see how times change and habits change. And the last thing I want you guys to do, and this is just a piece of advice. You guys don't have to take it. You guys might even be sleeping. If you are, uh, then I'm going to start lowering my voice a little bit. And I would say just keep learning. Just, I don't know, hop on Reddit, maybe hop on Twitter. Social media is good in a sense of it connects you with the world. And it's our job to at least try to connect with the younger generation because I don't want to have, I just don't want to be in a position where, you know, our grandparents are or where the baby boomers are at right now where the people 40, year, 40 years younger than them are pretty much saying the future is now, you know, we're kicking you out and there's nothing you can do about it. Like I want 
I want us to have you know, smarter conversations. I want us to be involved more in the sense of when we speak, we know what we're talking about and it's well-researched. We can see both angles and not just have knee-jerk reactions. So again, this is just me talking. There's not really any validity to any of this. It's just a random guy talking for about five minutes. So, so moving on, I figure this is a good part of the show where I would like to kind of tone it down. You know, let's talk about something that we all love. One of the most sexiest of industries that we see day in and day out, whether you're on the road, whether you're looking outside, whether you're out just around. It's logistics, folks. Come on. What did you think I was going to say? Logistics are everywhere. I mean, the computer screen, the phone, all that, like it all came from probably China forever. And the fact that it, they made it, manufactured it, and shipped it across the world, and you're still able to buy it for a relatively cheap price. And I'm not talking about even a smartphone, but I can be looking at uh, this pen or a speakerphone that was made in China that I still buy for like $5, okay? There's sites like wish.com that you can buy clothing for like $4 free shipping. Uh, there's a lot of things to that, but the point that I'm trying to make is logistics are everywhere and it affects us. Unfortunately, it's not as sexy as I made it out to be. So that's why you're going to either learn or you're going to sleep with what I like to call, at least in this episode, some logistics learnings. So I figure I wanted to talk more about the latest logistics insights news because, you know, it's very relevant to the world that we live in today. Luckily, my cousin is a logistics expert and he knows the industry a little bit. So he recommended me a couple of magazines, things to look at. And one of the articles that caught my attention uh, was from Rick Berment from inboundlogistics.com. Uh, he decides to talk about not gambling with trade compliance. So in an article called, well, Don't Gamble with Trade Compliance, he talks about how the recent trends in tariffs, enforcement, and e-commerce shipping complicate the international trade landscape. To avoid significant fines, businesses must learn to dot every I and cross every T in the compliance process. He goes on to say that even existing allowances and privileges are being threatened, challenged, or taken away from shippers who violate trade regulations, pretty much creating an immediate th threat to profitability. So he mentions three key issues here. Uh, one of the key issues is that corporate executives need to know the tariffs that Customs and Board Protections, also known as CBP, is imposing on goods imported to the U.S. and how to stay aligned with the ever-changing HTF, which for you in the biz already know that as Harmonized Tariff Schedule. That should explain itself because I cannot explain it for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is out of my league. But he does go on to say that the second focus should be on trade agreements and planning for the potential of duty-free status disappearing from source goods. Basically, the idea behind this is that you always need to be planning ahead just in case that there are any contingencies down the road. So if there's any free trade agreement eliminations or something that is more of the like, especially for international shipping and logistics, you need to be planning ahead for it. And he pretty much says that some of these people don't. And again, it has that immediate threat to profitability. He goes on to say, thirdly, that companies really need to examine their profiles and, compl and compliance practices. So this includes record keeping, making sure that they're operating correctly. He points out that having informed compliance is more than just a best practice. It's legitimately a law. So come on, you guys need to be doing this. So this article is pretty short when he does talk about it, but he, I think he's really just trying to emphasize the point of don't try to cut corners, just follow the law. You know, I used to work at a battery store and back in the day, they actually had me get a hazmat uh, certification, which had nothing to do with the job at hand. I was just working data entry. But looking at the hazmat documentation, I think it was like 300 or like maybe three, like a thousand pages where they had to bring a certified hazmat specialist or you know specialist to come and train us and we had to get a certificate. And reading through this, it just seemed like it was a bunch of 
you know, issues that happened over time where they probably wanted to create like a hundred page document and then they realized, oh, hey, like let's throw some lithium batteries exposed in the air and then it'll cause fires. So it seems like every rule that was added was based off of previous oversight prior. So I definitely agree with his statement of you need to practice proper trade compliance or at least compliances in general, uh, because in this case for logistics is law. He does go on to emphasize more international logistics, mainly because of the tariffs or if there's just so many moving parts with international that we are not in control of. So you really can't afford to gamble on compliance. So in regards to the trade environment or some organizations that have created compliance uh, departments managed by C-suite officers that are trying to mitigate the risk, uh, especially in the key operational areas. So I'm kind of just rewording what this guy's saying. I'm not an expert. Again, if you want to check out the article, it's from Inbound Logistics called Don't Gamble with Trade Compliance by Rick Berman. So again, want to give him credit where credit is due. Now, I'm about to throw some knowledge bonds because I'm about to talk to you through a listicle article. That's right. Love those listicles. And did I say listicle article? Shouldn't it just be listicle? Okay. Anyway, moving on. This article called uh, Securing Truckload Capacity. It's a good list article that helps emphasizes the continued trend of truckload demand and to heavily emphasize that there are no no shortcuts in fixing the capacity gap. Whatever that means, I don't know, but I think the point he's trying to make is that you want to make sure you take these steps to ensure that your shipping, your freight um, arrives on time. So the one thing he says, the number one thing he mentions is to create a core carrier program. By doing that, you need to establish relationships with large providers who can help you run up in demand uh, in regional carriers who have a compelling value prop in the markets they serve. So it is what it is, according to uh, this article. And the person who wrote this is uh, Heron Seed, Side, S-Y-E-D. Hopefully I said your name right, Heron. If I said it wrong, I apologize. If you, if you happen to catch wind in this blurb and I said your name wrong, please just message me or whatever and I'll learn it and say it right. I'm terrible with names. Um, but he was, is, I should say, the uh, vice president, commercial developer uh, for Schneider, whatever that is. That's just the credit that it was given. So uh, the number two thing he mentions is schedule quarterly touch points. So this is generally just good practice in business is that you want to keep communications with your carriers or your vendors um, and their objectives. So you want to make sure you guys have agreeable benchmarks so you know, you know, you both have plan anticipated times and how you do things and you're both on the same page because nothing is worse than when one vendor has their own idea of when things should be completed versus your expectations so you definitely want to keep shopping around and you know if, if one vendor isn't willing to meet your needs well another vendor will that's just life you know opportunity uh awaits to those who are willing to step out into the forefront and take that first step to say you know I could step up and do things while others can't. Third thing, mentions building long-term rela relationships that transcend market cycles. This is pretty smart. And by that, he means you want to create relationships with shippers or maybe in your case, a vendor or just people in general that they're good people to work with, that they're understanding of business practices make them less likely to be affected by say a recession or a downturn you know companies that just have consistent strong but slow growth it tends to be the ones that aren't affected by it and those are the people that you want to be uh, around the most you know they are the most i like to call them old reliables uh in the world of logistics the principle is the same uh, regardless of what you're looking for it's still a company that you need to trust in that knows what they're doing really well and that will continue to grow long-term for decades to come. Four, you have to be intentional with your bidded objectives. So whenever you're, if you plan on bidding on your network, just be direct about your intent. Just don't beat around the bush. If you want to improve, for example, the cost to serve, just ask carriers to help identify opportunities just to decrease inefficiencies. 
you know, it sounds so easy when I'm reading it out loud, but realistically, I still don't. This is just way out of my league. Come on. So the fifth thing he mentioned is keep bidding rounds to a minimum. Essentially, I'm assuming bidding rounds are more of just shopping for quotes when it comes to this. So uh, he mentions keeping it to a minimum. So if you're going shopping for different vendors or, or truck shipping rates or and whatnot, uh, you want to be straightforward and upfront when it comes to your carriers. So don't hold multiple bid rounds because when you hold multiple bid rounds, then the carrier is going to not give their best rates until the very end. You know, that takes time. It could take hours and days, maybe even weeks in some cases. Why bother? You're wasting time, value, and money and resources. Be upfront, be concise, and get results. People react to that. And if they don't, they are going to regret it, believe it or not, because the world will move on if someone thinks that you're going to have multiple bid rounds and it turns out you have one and they didn't believe you. Uh, I've been burned before when it comes to that stuff, and I've also been the one that burns people to do that. So I uh, generally am a nice person, but let's be real. Results matter at the end of the day. I don't care who you are. If I promise to give you a million dollars after you pay me 500000 and I don't give it to you, then, well, you're not happy. Like, that's very black and white. And yes, results do matter. And yes, there are caveats. And I'm speaking in more of a black and white manner. Um, I do understand that the world is full of gray areas. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty much, maybe with the exclusion of a couple hundred scenarios out of the billions or infinite ones, like it, a lot of things are gray area once you involve context. So back to the point. Keep it straightforward. Keep your rounds very minimal, one or two at most. So stop wasting time. The number six thing he mentions is that you want to establish network consistency. So if you're happy with your overall relationship, just provide incumbents with an opportunity to keep that freight. It sounds straightforward. Just keep it going. People love consistent work. Nothing's new. Nothing changes. People are happy. Number seven. Use multiple modes to maximize capacity. So I don't know what this means, but considering I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this word for word. Different transportation modes provide solutions to different needs. Consider how these modes can work together to create a successful shipping model. For instance, intermodal is best for hauls of longer than 450 miles that have a transit time flexibility while dedicated is best for service-sensitive lanes in high-density markets, DC to store, and first mile slash final mile deliveries. I mean, it can't be any clearer than that, folks. I mean, I don't need to say anything. Completely, 100% interpreted what that meant. Eight, be a shipper of choice. With the implementation of electronic logging devices. And don't get me started with that. I do have my cousin in logistics and I was in the car. It was very interesting that he talked about this ironically, about how due to the electronic logging devices, a lot of drivers, they used to get away with fudging their, I wanna say fudging their, their carrier mileage or the uh, semi-truck mileage or whatever. But uh, in regards to time on the road, they would generally fudge it so they can get more miles in or quote unquote less time. But now since everything's electronic, they have to limit their travels, which does create some um, potential increased cost because you can only have one driver on the road for X amount of time before they have to stop. And since it's being tracked electronically, having two drivers is more or less viable these days. A surprisingly unique insight for me in logistics that's not from this. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Going back to the shipper of choice, since um, great characteristics, velocity, and utilization matters. So carriers will price in your networks and efficiencies because if they know you're not going to be that good, they're going to adjust for it. Kind of like the uh, time value of money. You know, you want to get what you pay for. You want to make sure you have a good value. People adjust to certain situations to where it benefits them. So you need to make sure, you know, you have to identify your inefficiencies and work to improve them. Simple as that. Number nine, we're almost done. Just two more. So number nine, you want to keep drivers productive and satisfied. So 
such amenities recommended from him include restrooms, break areas, and parking to make the logist to make their locations more desirable. So when the driver's on the clock, everyone is on the supply chain. So making sure the driver can get to these amenities is pretty crucial. I'm guessing that has more to do with routes because I just can't imagine, you know, hey, here's your amenity, here's a free portal potty. Like it doesn't, I don't think it works like that. If it does, that screams very, very inefficient to me at least. Yeah. So the last and final tip, just to secure your truckload capacity to make sure nothing goes haywire or crazy, is that you need to tap your third-party provider's range of services, whether if it's warehousing, transportation, or even any value-added services, technology. I don't know. The more that you can attain from just a single provider is the more seamless, smooth, and scalable your operation can be. So long story short, just see what they have to offer and see if you can just streamline it into all one hub or two hubs you know you don't want to hold all your eggs in one basket but i'm speaking from my opinion here so well, that's it so i mean that is a lot of amazing interesting logistics stuff that probably one percent of the population loves and the other percent 99 percent are hopefully counting sheep one sheep two sheep three sheep okay i'll stop now Let's talk about this last informational piece from a site called uh, Cirrusis, uh, simply just called in-house logistics versus outsource logistics. Big and small brands alike are targeting 3PL services. So he talks more about outsourcing of the supply chains, may sound more far-fetched, but you know what? Just reading this, I just really don't want to talk about it. And it's my podcast, so I get to do what I want. So hooray me. <laughs> so you know what? I'm going to stop reading these articles, and I'm pretty sure I've inspired you. I've gotten you to think just a little bit, but not too much, uh, about sleep, insomnia. And even maybe you learn a, learn a thing or two about logistics, and you get to, get to listen to an old man rant. Now, I am 33, and I know I'm not old, old. And I know I'm pretty sure there are a lot of older people that are just scoffing when I say my age. But hey, I got a lot of gray hairs, and I don't know, I work a lot. I work a lot, a lot. Well, maybe not so much these days. I'm working on a whole work-life balance kind of thing. Uh, I think it's working out pretty decently. Uh, you know, I'm still able to work. I'm able to create this podcast, and I do have a few other ideas as well. But that's at another time and another place. Or maybe this is the perfect time and perfect place. No, I think it's just another time. I know we're winding down. And before I go, I just wanted to just give a little piece of, I guess, humanness coming for me. I don't know. I'll find a way to jazz it up. As you can tell, I'm not really someone who likes to plan too much. Like, I'm a, I plan, but... I like to talk as if I'm talking to you, normal, not in a radio voice. Here today is what I'm going to talk about. I think that, you know, I, I, I'm just not that kind of person. I mean, I can be, you know, if I'm playing a part, and that might be something I might do down the road, but I digress. So I wanted to leave you today with just more of the, I guess, the initial inspiration of this podcast. I know last podcast I mentioned that, you know, I just want to utilize my voice to help people. And that's very true. But the inspiration of that, or finding that, I should say, uh, came from an article I found on medium.com. And you might be able to view it for free. Uh, medium does charge you $5 a month for this type of content. And I was very fortunate to actually uh, use one of my free previews to read it because it really did change a lot and how I'm starting to view things. And I think a lot of us, especially more millennials, uh, even older people or just young people in general, just don't know what's out there or what, you know, what, what, what's out there, how do I get there and whatnot, or even just lighting a fire in you to take action and not just an action that you're going to do for 30 minutes or two days straight and then you forget about it but something that seeps through the core I guess 
so this article it's called how I stopped sitting around all day seething with jealousy of my peers you know the first thing that caught my eye was her subtitle you know I, I learned the hard way there are better morning routines than googling people you envy and hating yourself as a result so uh, this is something I probably used to do back in my 20s and luckily I don't do that now but it really does strike a chord with me in a sense that well, the author first is, her name is uh, Mandy uh, Stat Miller, I believe. Stat, Stat Miller. Oof, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Mandy, if you read this, but like I really appreciate this piece of work that you've written, but I just don't want to say your name wrong, so feel free to correct me if you happen to hear this. But uh, Mandy, she just did a really great job on just explaining her thoughts on whether it's jealousy and learning and just improving herself and what she did over time. Uh, you know, how she was able to find her muse going from, I believe, being a writer out in New York through um, learning how to or kind of following her passion to write more comedy. And uh, I I think for her, or I should say for me personally, um, some of the things that she does, that she does want, that she does for a living, I should say, is comedy and writing and and just finding herself and bringing joy to other people it's it's quite the read uh if you're interested in actually as a matter of fact they have a audio version of the story as well all you need is the uh, medium membership for the five dollar a month one i am probably going to end up buying it after this podcast because i actually really enjoy and enjoy this article i have it bookmarked i have a lot of things bookmarked these days and heck if you even want to get inside of my mind more, uh, do yourself a favor and just write this down. Just go to Medium and type in my name, Joey Montano. I'm pretty sure it's going to be attributed to all the podcasts wherever you find this, on Apple, Spotify, wherever, or on YouTube. I don't know where, but uh, I, I write some things too, whether it's marketing and whatnot, but, um, but I think most of those writings are just things that I felt like writing at the time, and I really want to emphasize more of that, and I want to improve my writing. I want to improve a lot of things that I just want to improve in general, I should say. Uh, you might notice when I speak and when I talk, I tend to have a lot of differentiating, almost awkward-like pauses. It's for me personally, what I've learned is that I would rather have a slightly awkward pause compared to a lot of uhs and ums. Not that I don't do that, it's just a habit that I've developed and I actually find it endearing for me because it's how I came to a solution and I find it to be fairly viable. And if you are someone like me who does stumble a little bit, fumble your words and sometimes your head just wraps around too fast and you overthink a lot, it's something to try. But again, I digress. Back to the uh, Medium article that I've read from uh, Mandy. It's it's a it's a very great perspective on kind of the inner workings of how we think, or at least how she thinks and her views on like jealousy and improvement and so on and so forth. And and for me, I was just able to resonate it with a lot, especially since I love comedy. I feel like I'm almost walking in her shoes. Uh, I don't know if I am, but that's what I feel like when I read articles like this. And that's what I hope that you guys feel as well when I talk more uh, on this. And hopefully you continue to follow my journey. I know these few, first few episodes are going to be a little bit rough. But, you know, when it comes to the destination, I don't know where this podcast is going to go. I already have ideas on how to just create content, get more people involved, and bring more visibility to just anything that I feel passionate about and I want more of you guys to do that as well so I don't know if you're still awake and if you're not if you're still awake I'm very sorry I've been trying to talk I've been trying to get you to fall asleep um, but I think uh, what's best if you're still awake and if you're still listening and you enjoy the sound of my voice and you like what I'm hearing is I guess to keep on listening just to keep getting inside you know how I think or who I recommend to think, and you can follow them as well. You know, I'm not trying to take over the world yet. 
emphasis on the yet, and I mean that. But eh, who's who's gonna find that at the what sixty minute mark of this episode two? I don't think this is even gonna get more than like ten views. But I'm enjoying this, and I'm gonna keep talking, and I'm gonna keep podcasting, and I hopefully I will improve and get better. And who knows? Maybe I'll be doing a keynote someday in a signature poncho. That would be pretty cool. You know, just to do what you want. I honestly really don't care what most people think, but it does matter to those who do care, strangely enough. I don't know if that's good or a bad thing, but either way, guys, hopefully you enjoyed this last hour, and hopefully you guys are deep in sleepy land. This is Joey Montano, and I'm signing out. See you guys on the next the next cast.